Hello everyone, my name is Lavanga Vijaykorn. I am a shareholder at Little Mendelssohn's Chicago office. I'm also a member of the firm's pro bono committee. Now, all of us have heard in the news about the conflict in Ukraine and the humanitarian crisis that has ensued. When this happened, many of our little attorneys came forward to provide pro bono services to help Ukrainians affected by the violence. Today, as part of a celebration of National Pro Bono Week, I have the honor of talking to two of my colleagues from Littler's office in Poland who, along with many other Poland office colleagues, have done wonderful pro bono work related to the conflict in Ukraine. Tomasz Rogala is the head of the Global Mobility and Immigration Team in our Poland office. He provides advice and counsel to multinational companies in employment and immigration law. Marcin Sanetra is a senior lawyer at our Poland office, and he is admitted to practice in both Poland and New York and provides advice and counsel to multinational companies in employment law. I'm also thrilled that Marcin will be joining me in our Chicago office next year as part of our Littlest Economy program, and I am looking forward to introducing him to the choice of Chicago-style pizza. All right, getting back to the matter at hand here. So, Tomasz and Marcin, how did this work related to the Ukraine conflict come about? Marcin, let's start with you. Thank you very much, Lavanga, and thank you for the invitation. It's really great to have the opportunity to be here today. And I'm really happy that together with Tomasz, we can speak on behalf of the broader team at PCS Littler in Poland. We really had many people very much involved in the pro bono support rendered to Ukrainians, and it's a privilege for me to represent them here. So let me start with a little bit of background to show you why the support provided in Poland to Ukrainians was so important to them and why so many of the Ukrainian nationals chose their country as a safe haven. So. First of all, Poland is a member of the European Union, which, as uh, you may know, Ukraine is not. However, we do share a very long, easily accessible land border with no natural obstacles such as mountains or major rivers in the way. Along the border, we do have a number of convenient, efficient border crossings through which the traffic usually flows. These crossings are usually and have been previously used by the large Ukrainian community that's been living and working in Poland before the conflict started. At the end of 2021, I believe we had approximately 1 million Ukrainians living and working in Poland, which constituted by far the largest non-Polish minority in our country. So the social and economic networks these people had in Poland were also a huge asset to those coming to Poland in February and March in, in 2022, when the conflict started. Easy access to job market in Poland was also a factor, as well as overall cultural and language similarities between the Poles and the Ukrainians. Finally, uh, Poland was a natural corridor to all those who wanted to escape further west, for example, to Germany. Everything combined resulted in an unprecedented migration when the conflict started. It's estimated that in March, additional 2 million Ukrainian people came to Poland, adding up to the 1 million that was already there. While we're at it, I also want to mention a different phenomenon that we noticed in February and March. That was 
very interesting to us. Many people, as well as many employers who are our clients in Poland, reached out to us to seek advice and support to those Ukrainians, usually males who have been living and working in Poland, for example, in the IT sector, which was one of the most popular sectors for, for Ukrainian nationals to work in before the conflict. So these people were in Poland when the conflict started, but wanted to come back to Ukraine to fight, preferably without losing their jobs or residence status in Poland. This really showed us how important it is to be ready to offer our support to Ukrainians and how to be open to the various issues and challenges they may be facing. Thank you, Marcin. Tomasz? Thank you, Lavanga. Again, thank you for having us. Thank you for the opportunity to speak about our pro bono work. Now, I think to understand how this migration flow gave rise to our and other people's efforts in helping Ukrainians, it is necessary to understand the psychological and the emotional impact the conflict had on Poles, on us, on the Polish society at large. So I want to say that the outbreak of the conflict, this was a shock. This had a, an extreme emotional impact. And as much as we knew it was coming in a way, with the Russian troops amassing at the border, the media reporting about the growing tensions, it still felt surreal and devastating when it actually came to be, when the conflict actually broke out. And then what is very important is that the reaction in the Polish society immediately following the outbreak, it was extraordinary. There was instant, spontaneous, large mobilization to help. All around Poland, there would be ordinary people who felt they had to do something to help the refugees. So people would actually drive to the border in their private cars to pick up arriving Ukrainian refugees, to drive them to some place to stay. People would offer their homes as temporary accommodation. They would prepare packages of food and clothing. There would be fundraisers spontaneously popping up everywhere. And to stress, this was all before the government authorities, either at the central or local level, had the chance to put together any organized response. This was all spontaneous reaction of the Polish society. So we at PCS, we basically just shared the same sentiment. We were part of the same massive movement in the Polish society. So when the news came in about the crisis and the flux of refugees coming uh, to Poland, we also felt that we just couldn't stand by idly and we had to do something. And since we have a large migration and global mobility team, we deal with migration matters on a daily basis. It was just natural to focus our help there, to share our immigration law expertise. So we went ahead and set up a dedicated email address to answer questions, a toll-free hotline available in Ukrainian, Polish, and English. And we just went ahead to provide our expertise to share it and uh, help. And again, I want to stress that this uh, really happened organically. There was no hesitation. There was no long discussion how to react, what impact we could have. Everybody across our team, from the junior lawyers and the administrative staff, all the way to the partners, just felt this was the right thing to do. And since we work in the field of immigration law, now we just had to use this expertise to go ahead and help. So we had plenty of team members volunteering to help, to participate in any way they could. And we just had to select some people, dedicate them to this hotline assistance, redistribute their work across the rest of the team. And everybody was instantly fully on board with that and very understanding and very happy to help. And I'm really proud of how we as a firm responded. Of course, we knew that this hotline assistance, this was like a drop in the ocean of needs. 
but then it was all the more uplifting when after a few days we realized exactly that uh, it was not just us. It was not that we were among the few people or organizations that would help the Ukrainian refugees, but that indeed there was this massive spontaneous movement with thousands of people being involved in helping somehow that didn't hesitate, but just went ahead to provide any help they could. That's great, Tomasz. I'm hearing a lot about the emotional impact the situation had on the Polish community at large. In doing this hotline, providing this hotline assistance, were there particular stories that stuck out to you and had a special impact on you, Tomasz? Well, there is one particular story that I can think of, for example, is when this lady called on our hotline who escaped from Irpin. It's a, it's a city close to Kiev, between Kiev and Bucha. And it was uh, before the atrocities at Bucha came to surface. At that time, there was heavy fighting going on there in the area. And this lady, she was already in Poland, but she called and asked how she could bring over her grandchildren who had stayed back in Irpin. Now, both parents of those children were involved in the fighting. Father was a soldier and mother was a military doctor. And I don't really know who the children were staying with and how the situation came to be. Now, the matter was not that difficult from the Polish law perspective, how to bring the children over. But the obstacle proved to be Ukrainian law, which required a notarized consent of the parents to bring a minor child out of the country. It was not possible to even contact the parents at that time let alone have them go to a notary to sign a consent form. So what we had to do was try to creatively address the problem. We reached out to our befriended Ukrainian lawyers. We reached out to the Ukrainian border guard to see what can be done. And at first, the answer was negative. It was just not possible to get the children out of the country. The grandmother was, of course, devastated. She was crying on the phone. And it seemed we just faced a wall. We couldn't do anything. But in the end, we just managed to actually persuade the Ukrainian border guard to agree to let these children through the border. And the grandmother came to the border to pick them up. So we know that the grandmother did pick the grandchildren up. We don't know what happened to the parents. But this particular story ended well. Now, later on, this proved to be a recurring problem, how to get a child through the border without parents. And we know that later on, the Ukrainian authorities relaxed the rules around children crossing the border without a legal guardian, exactly because such situations turned out to be quite common. And other than that, there were plenty of really moving stories. Uh, many times, what we heard were really just shreds of stories, where people would call with a specific problem or question, but you could tell from the context or from the questions asked, the drama that was going on in the background that gave rise to the problem. And people were calling with all sorts of problems. As much as we were primarily offering legal support on Polish immigration law, how to cross the border, what documents to bring, what formalities to complete and when, uh, soon enough, we found ourselves advising on social benefits, medical care. We found ourselves relaying contact information to other organizations that would help the refugees or even providing psychological or at least emotional support. So altogether, we answered about 800 calls uh, and about 600 email inquiries, about half of which happened in the early days of the conflict. That is end of February and March this year. Now we keep the assistance going and calls and emails still come, but now it's more of a trickle compared to what it was in the beginning. Wow, thank you, Tomasz. Marcin, any particular story that stuck out to you? 
So the story I was thinking about sharing is about a man who was assisted by our team in his escape to Poland. The particular problem with this situation was that the man who reached out to us was a resident of the Kherson area, which is just north of Crimean Peninsula. And he was trapped there by the fights. He wanted to escape directly to Poland and to get here and to get to safety as soon as possible. But to do that and to cross directly to Poland and take the shortest, easiest route, he would have to directly cross the front line where heavy fights were still ongoing and where at this time were no corridors established for for civilians to cross. So this person that we've been talking with, he considered taking a different route and to go south. He wanted to go cross through Crimea and then enter into the Russian territory. So his idea on how to be safe and how to get to Poland was to enter the Polish territory as a Ukrainian national, but from the territory of Russia. The problem he faced was related to the way the Polish legislation was structured, the legislation that offered special protection to Ukrainian nationals. It was only offered to those who entered into Poland directly from Ukraine. This law was was really hastily created. The government was doing its best to create a law that would award this protection, and it was being constantly changed. A number of loopholes were being found in the legislation, and, and the government was working on it on daily basis. But at that time, it meant that if a Ukrainian national entered Poland through Slovakia, for example, not to mention through Russia, he would have a hard time not only obtaining the special protected status that the Polish legislation at time allowed, but potentially he might have not been able to cross the border at all. So this provision was heavily criticized in Poland and various attempts through different channels and also by PCS Littler and their lawyers have been made to persuade the government to lift this limitation. Luckily for the man who we have been assisting, this eventually happened just in time and allowed us to render him support uh, with the safe crossing he needed. This was a really lucky event, good timing, and our up-to-date information on the latest developments and expected changes in the law have really allowed us to solve the matter and help the men escape from the Kherson area which was still heavily impacted by the war. This information, so the information that we had on various developments in the quickly changing regulations, as well as the day-to-day practices of the authorities, such as the border guard, for example, allowed us not only to help certain individuals like the person I've just described, but also to publish various free access, FAQs, alerts, newsletters, free access webinars. These were often provided on our website or on our firm's LinkedIn in three languages, in Polish, in English, and in Ukrainian. And we know that this has become a popular source of up-to-date, easily digestible information and tips for Ukrainian nationals and those people who helped them. The law kept changing really fast. And even more importantly, 
the day-to-day -day practices that Thomas described, for example, of the border authorities, were also changing on daily basis. So this is why it was crucial for some of the people we helped to have PCS Littler and to have our attorneys as the individuals bringing them, you know, what's the latest on how the border guard functions and what's the latest interpretation of the authorities of the law that they've just created. It's wonderful, Marcin. It seemed like you had a well-oiled operation that was very sensitive to the rapidly changing situation on the ground and providing this pro bono assistance. Fantastic. What would both of you say to other attorneys, not just at Littler, but also other attorneys who might be listening to this podcast, who are considering doing pro bono work? Marcin? I'll do my best not to be very cheesy about it, but I think that it is a good reminder that being a lawyer is to some extent a special profession and that you do have a sworn duty towards the society. It's easily forgotten in our day-to-day -day work, mostly for corporate clients, where we provide value to them, but we're also being financially rewarded for the work we do. And it's easy to forget that there is more value to our services than the market value we bring. So whether it's helping a company establish and grow a business and create more jobs, or whether it is to help an individual with a certain matter that they face, it's something good that you do on, on a daily basis. And it brings you, or at least it brings me personal satisfaction and pride. And doing pro bono work is a great way to keep reminding yourself about that. In my experience, I think it's also a nice opportunity and a good training ground to grow as a lawyer. Myself, I've been active in pro bono work with the same foundation, Academia Juris, uh, since I was a student, and I continue to work with them today. The Academia Juris Foundation provides free pro bono legal support to economically underprivileged citizens by running clinics and consultation points where people who, who can't afford the lawyer can just come in, discuss their legal problems, and seek our advice. So at first, when I was a student a while ago, I was first responsible for drafting the advice and for doing research. And over time, as I progressed in my career and as I gained more experience, I started giving out the advice myself and then reviewing the advice that was provided by other volunteers who were doing this job. At this point, I consult in the most complicated matters, which are then discussed with the clients by my colleagues. So I think it's a really good reminder that as you work and as you progress as a corporate lawyer uh, or in your law firm, you can also progress as a person who does pro bono. Thank you, Marcin. Very inspiring words, Tomasz. Thank you. I do agree fully that as lawyers, we have some special duties towards the society. I think this is a, just a true thing to say. And I do agree that delivering on these duties is something that is personally rewarding and personally fulfilling. And this suffices to conclude that it's worth doing it, that it's worth doing pro bono work. I think it's also worth adding that pro bono work is rewarding on a more mundane level too. Now, 
not only does it create good image of the firm for the clients, but even more so, doing pro bono work is something that attracts talented, ambitious candidates striving to do good. And this is something very important. Firstly, young people who graduate from law and enter the job market, of course, they want to find a job that gives them money, but frequently they also want a job that combines this with doing something important and something meaningful. Doing pro bono work as a law firm allows us as an employer to give these candidates such an opportunity to allow them to do something meaningful, to participate in something big that would give them this personal satisfaction, this personal fulfillment. And secondly, candidates who have this initiative, this ambition and the persistence to be involved in pro bono projects, to help others, to do something extra, are often those same candidates that would make good lawyers overall. So I think the two skill sets basically overlap to a large degree. This is why it is good to do pro bono work as an employer to attract those uh, candidates. Thank you, Tomasz Marchin, for all the wonderful pro bono work that you do and for taking the time to share your thoughts on them on this podcast. For all of our listeners out there, I do hope that you will be inspired by Tomasz's and Marchin's experiences and those of our other little attorneys who are also featured on this week's podcast. I do want to very quickly emphasize the wonderful words that Tomasha Marchin just shared in our last question there, which is that one of the common themes that you will hear in these podcast stories throughout this pro bono week is that this work is incredibly rewarding and that we see this work as a part of our duties as lawyers to assist the most vulnerable members of our communities. Thank you again to Marchin and Tomasz. Once again, this is Lavanga Vijaykorn, shareholder at Little Chicago, signing off. Thank you very much for listening.